a Goldcast Empire. Just to let you guys know, there's a little bit of audio issues at the end of the episode. Just um, in the overall sound quality, you can hear everything clear. Everything's going to come in crystal clear. No sound issues in terms of what's being said. You should have no trouble listening. But just a little dip in quality as we got to the end. We had some technical issues that we had to work around. All right. But uh, other than that, it's still a great episode. And enjoy the show. Today's episode of the Goldcast is sponsored by an insane, absolutely insane, and very, very satisfying 2020 NFL draft. Raymond, how did you feel about the draft? We're going we're gonna to get into it, really get into it, but just real quick, just overall, did you like it? You didn't like it? You liked the presentation? How'd you feel? I think insane's very appropriate. Not only was this insane, but this is one of the most well-executed drafts in the John Lynch era. And, I, I, you know, I'd, I'd actually be so bold to say that this is the best draft he's had in terms of, you know, uh, facilitating. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to talk all about it once we get into the episode. But before we get started, Raymond, why don't you let them know if they want to talk to the Goldcast about the draft, where can they find us? You can always like the Goldcast. And you can also follow us on Twitter at the underscore Goldcast. And be sure to subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Stitcher, all under the same moniker of The Goldcast. Like, subscribe, and comment because we know that many of you that were chiming in on Twitter and Instagram were also monitoring the draft. Let us know what you think, not only about what the picks, but also how John Lynch played this draft because that's kind of going to be the focus of today's episode. But we're certainly going to be getting into the draft uh, throughout the week. That's right. This will not be our only draft centric episode we are going to have our boy max marsh he'll be back on a little bit later in the week we believe that episode will probably we're going to record and drop that on wednesday and that will be him kind of going into detail about these characters players characters about these players he already talked about some of them but these some of these guys we weren't in on brandon Ayuk and javon kinlaw two of our, our first two picks we did discuss in our draft preview Check that episode out if you already haven't. But then we get we're gonna go in with him into the rest of this draft. Who are all these players? What does he think about them? Where do we go from here? All right. Now, Raymond, if they want to talk to you directly about the draft, where can they find you? You can always I think the best place to reach out to me is on Twitter. That's at Ray Solis R A Y S O L I S. And on Instagram at Ray Solis one. That's the number one, not the spelling. That's right. And you can see find me on Instagram and Twitter at I am Rudy Third. I am Rudy Three R D. All right, here we go. The greatest fanalist in the game. He has arrived. Your boy, me, your professor of fanalism. I'm in the building too. Classes in session. Let's go. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa I, baby. Boom! All right, Raymond. Let's get into this. Uh... It was 
so exciting to have some semblance of professional sports back. It was nice that it was our favorite sport, our team that is nearest and dearest to our hearts, the number one team in the San Francisco Bay Area, the San Francisco 49ers. It was wonderful to see our boys represented again in the draft. And uh, let's talk first, Remy, just a little bit about the draft presentation. What did you think about the overall presentation? You know, after watching the NBA horse presentation, that was a, a kind of a real big letdown overall as, as how they presented it. I was a little perplexed. So I was a little apprehensive about this NFL draft and if they were able to pull it off. I thought they did. What did you think about the overall presentation of the NFL draft, given the situation that we're in? I thought it was pretty similar to what we normally see, only only it was a bit more... I thought the coaches and the GMs were more humanized because we would see their kids running around the background, their wives, their dogs. I thought that part was cool. I liked how every shot of every player was at their house with their family. I thought that was awesome. The only thing I didn't like, and, and let me know what you think of this, I didn't like how every single graphic of every player included some kind of personal, albeit most of the time, tragic stat of the player. I'm like, I understand you're trying to tug at the heartstrings of with, you know, most likely that's targeting the expanded audience that doesn't care as much about the players. It doesn't care about some of the aspects of the player that we care about, like their measurements and their stats and what they did in, in the college. So in order to, you know, try to appeal to the expanded audience that doesn't care about that such so much, they try to tug at the heartstrings by just dolling out. And they do this in the, in the regular draft too. This is not something new, but they just give out some kind of personal thing. Like father died in a car accident. Uh, um, you know, cousin murdered, uh, was homeless in 2010. It's like, come on, like, let's, you need to, they need to find something else to fill that last stat. If they, I understand, I think it's okay to get personal, but they need to stop. They need to get out of the drama side of it. Because, I mean, if that was me, if that was me, player, I'd be, I'd actually be offended and kind of pissed off that they put something that personal, like on national television for the entire country to see. Yeah. How, how about how about getting full ride scholarships to the schools that they're that they played at? How about, you know, if they got degrees, how about, you know? Yeah. What's their major? That's more interesting to me. I, I, you know, I, I don't want to know about this guy's poor his personal travails. Yeah, it it is it it seems like sometimes it it just becomes very um it be, it became so routine it felt disingenuous and and a little a little personal at a level that seemed unnecessary. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, and uh you know, uh, one of our sister-in-laws was was at the at the house watching and that was the one thing she noticed. She's like, "Why is there some why is how come every player has this personal tragedy that's broadcasted on that graphic?" And she was taken. She like didn't appreciate it. She and she was more taken aback by it. So that was my only big. And that's I think it's a pretty big gripe. Outside of that, I thought everything else was pretty awesome. I love seeing the emotional reaction of the players when they get picked, regardless of what team. Uh, I I just like watching. Uh, that's if you want to tug at heartstrings. That to me is the perfect, perfect Kodak moment. It, you know, to to really reach out to that's if you really want to reach out to the expanded audience like wives and sisters and sister-in-laws and nieces and all that kind of daughters you know that is the best representation of that 
I thought that was great. Uh, my favorite, my favorite was it? Oh man, I'm getting it mixed up now. Now was it? It was Javon Kinlaw's dad who rolled across the floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> that was the best reaction. If you guys haven't seen it, go on to Instagram or go on to Twitter, and literally, there's a shot. And when they announce to the, they announce that that Kinlaw's moving to the 49ers. Javon Kinlaw's father, he drops to the ground. So he drops to the ground and rolls across the floor. So check it out if you've not seen it on 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 social media. It is so funny. Javon Kinlaw, dad. Then he gets up, his arms are up, and then he hugs himself. And then he goes and he turns and he runs and hugs the family. I I, I think I I think that was the most dad moment. And I'm like, you know what? Ninety percent of all dads would do that. And you go to the team that was just at the Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? You go to you go to a team that is is trying to reload and make another run. I, I mean, how how more excited can you get? He literally rolled across the floor. It was the best. That was the best. Yeah. But uh, I I agree. The overall presentation was really well done. I thought it was uh it it was you know be- the best of circumstances. It still felt like the uh it it still felt like the draft. Yeah. I mean, we would have been home watching it anyways. You know, mm-hmm. so that that part of it doesn't change at all. But but seeing everybody else home, there was there was more relatability than ever before. Everyone else is at home with their family. And we see we see lots of players are at home, but normally it's the players that can't attend the ceremony itself, often in the later rounds, you know, sometimes in the rare and there's rare players that can't make it to the first to in the first round. But most of the first round players are all there physically, as well as the second round. So it's the later rounds where you get to see some of those reactions and they're kind of sprinkled in throughout the weekend. But in this case, every single player was getting that same kind of home treatment perspective, which I thought was awesome. It was. It was overall, it was a really good presentation and I I greatly enjoyed it. All right. So, Raymond, let's get into the actual draft. So I'm going to start by laying out what our original picks were and then I want you to break down for the audience. You're going to let them know exactly what happened because it got it got pretty complicated and a lot of we had a lot of moving parts here. We had four rounds where we had picks rounds one, five, six and seven. Round one, we had the 13th pick of the draft and the 35th first pick of the draft. Round five, then we don't have any picks for two, three, or four. Round five, we had the 156 and the 176th. In round six, we had the 210th. And in round seven, the 217th. And that was from, uh, what was that trade from, Raymond, originally? Do you remember which one that was? That was from an older trade. That's Yeah, that was an older trade made in August of 2018 with the Detroit Lions. We gave them Eli Harold, and they gave us their 2020 seventh rounder. Got it. Okay. That's how much Eli Harold was worth when he was like 23, 24 years old, which isn't saying much. <laughs> no, it isn't saying much at all. So six total picks. Now, Raymond, take us back through the draft weekend starting with round one because you know as we talked about in our previous episode when max our boy max marsh was on the show we were discussing the fact that we were pretty confident that the niners would keep the 13th pick and trade the 31st pick back to go into rounds possibly two and three or three and four that isn't quite what happened in fact i I don't think anyone could have predicted what was about to happen raymond take us through all of the, the picks starting with round one because there was action from the get-go. Yeah, and I think you 
gave out the uh, the phrase that I think is really going to encapsulate what this 2020 draft was all about. You said moving parts. Every single pick that you just went through became a moving part for the 49ers, which I've never seen before. The Niners actually had two picks in the seventh round. They had 217, which they got from the Lions that you mentioned, but they also had 245, which is near like dead last. That's like the last player in the draft. So what ended up happening was that in round one, we had pick 13, and I really thought that the Niners were going to trade this pick and keep the 31st or perhaps work out some kind of deal with both of them. But I was really leaning on them trading the 13th pick because I thought that that was a high pick for them and that that was more going to be more of a bargaining chip and that they would use that to get back into the round into the three rounds that they had nothing in. Cause I thought that being out of the second, third and fourth, I thought the Niners have got to make moves this year to get into those rounds, to get picks. That's what I thought that they had to do no matter what, and that they were going to do that. I was banking on that being an inevitable, you know, uh, outcome. But what ended up happening in the first round with that 13th pick is they traded it to the Buccaneers and they also gave up that seventh round pick number 245 and they moved down to 14. Tampa Bay moved up to 13 and they got an offensive tackle. And then we ended up taking defensive tackle Javon Kinlaw out of Carolina, South Carolina. So he goes number 14th overall. Then later in the first round, right around the time we're getting to the the 20s the minnesota vikings moved down to 31st and i'm like oh my god that's our position so where do we go san francisco trades up to 25 we give up the 31st pick plus the i'm sorry so so yeah so from the tampa bay uh trade we also got their fourth rounder which was number 117 that's what we got out of it not only did we move down to 14 but we also got their 117 then the niners take that 117 that new currency which i thought that they were going to keep to stay in the fourth round a round that we didn't have any picks in and they flip that plus number 176 which was their later fifth rounder and give that to minnesota and they move up to 25 and take wide receiver Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona for the 25th overall pick. Then, mid-draft, mid-draft, so in the rounds that we have nothing going on because we officially don't have anything in the second or the third or the fourth, and we traded half one of our picks for the fifth round. So we only have one pick in the fifth. So I'm like, all right, well, we just got to sit and wait for the fifth then. Then all of a sudden, we get the reports coming in that Washington has traded standout offensive tackle Trent Williams, who was drafted in 2010 by Washington, and we give up our 156 pick, which was our only other pick in the fifth round, and we give up our 2021 third, a 2021 third rounder, you know, position to be determined right now. You know, it'll be determined once the season starts, you know, once we uh, finish the season and figure out where our position is. And Trent Williams is a seven-time Pro Bowl offensive tackle, so he's even better than Joe Staley because Joe Staley retired and we had to replace him, and he played with Kyle Shanahan from 2011 through 2013 when he was there with his dad. So that takes care of the mid-round draft. Then then in round five, which I believe we have nobody, all of a sudden the Niners trade Matt Breida to Miami for their fifth-round pick, number 153. And we take that fifth round pick and get another offensive tackle, Colton McKivitz out of West Virginia, who goes for number 53rd overall. Then in the sixth round, where we had, 
we had the 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 2010 pick, right? We had the 2010 pick. We get uh, we get we give up Marquise Goodwin to Philadelphia, so we don't even keep our 210 pick. We give that to Philadelphia and Marquise Goodwin, and then Philadelphia gives us their sixth round pick, which was number 90. So then we get tight end Charlie Warner out of Georgia, 190 overall. Then in the final round, we use that 2017 pick that we had traded for in <laughs> for Detroit in August of 2018. We flip that for wide receiver Jawan Jennings out of Tennessee. So every single pick in this draft was traded by the 49ers to move up and get a player they really wanted or in the middle of the draft, in this case, to find Joe Staley's instant plug-in re- replacement. This was an absolutely masterful draft and I don't care what anybody says I understand there's bias going on here but the fact that we did not have picks in rounds two three and four and we still were able to not only address the recent departures of Emmanuel Sanders and DeForest Buckner with uh, Javon Kinlaw and Brandon Ayuk and then Joe Staley retired so we get Trent Williams in his stead and then get a backup that we can groom in Colton McKivitz and then fill, fulfill the Charlie Warner position because we know that uh, Garrett Selleck retired too. So we got a, a younger tight end because we know that um, Dwelly is going to move up into that position. And Oh, actually, no, uh, Toy, Toy Lolo. Toy Lolo is the tight end we lost in the offseason, so Warner replaces him. And that Jawan Jennings is going to come in to perhaps fill the void of young wide receivers and work, maybe work his way up. We don't know. He's a seventh rounder. Not many seventh rounders really make it to, you know, bona fide, solidified, crazy starters in the NFL. I think the one exception is maybe Trent Brown, who's six, who actually became a Pro Bowler, but that was it. Outside of that, this was a crazy draft. The, the Niners did some work that I did not see coming. I thought we would trade a couple of picks in the first round. I thought we would that we'd negotiate those two picks to get into the three rounds that we were missing. But sure enough, um we we did trade those ones, but we trade every other pick. And I think we got a really a really exciting draft class. Absolutely. It was a really exciting draft class. I you know the only place I I would have liked to have seen them address was the secondary but I also famously said this last year, and they made me pay for it by having one of the top best secondaries in the league. I believe they can, they believe they have a lot of faith clearly, and they uh, it looks like they're assuming that dominance will continue. And they really got the fact that we were able to replace three major hits so quickly was very impressive. Getting Trent Williams from Washington, I don't know what on earth. Washington was thinking, giving us Trent Williams. But I know that when Sean McVay, when they asked Sean McVay about it, he kind of jokingly said, uh, yeah, I did here. Now I'm going to go down a glass, a, a gulp of coffee or you know, something about going and getting a, a big coffee. And he, you know, to emphasize his nervousness, you know, that uh, in, the thing I noticed too, Raymond, not a lot of our our opponents across the pond, not a whole lot of emphasis on line, O-line, yet here we are restacking, reinvigorating that O-line uh, to give us more protection for Jimmy G. The uh, A lot of people did ask about the Charlie Warner pick. Yeah, ba- basically an adrenaline shot. Yes, a huge adrenaline shot. A lot of people asked about Charlie Warner. Why are we getting him when we have uh, when we have George Kittle? You guys have to understand, Warner's being brought in 
for his blocking ability. And already, as Raymond had mentioned, we lost some tight ends. So this was a huge, huge move. We needed to refill that spot, and he is being brought in for his blocking prowess. Kittle can't just do it all. He can't do it all, all the time. And 49ers have no issue with running two tight end sets. Not only that, let's not forget, Kittle went down for a little bit last year. We need that depth right there at such an important position. It allows, like you said, Raymond Dwelly to move up. Warner kind of moves into his spot. Uh, Juwan Jennings, we will see. I would assume there really wasn't a cornerback maybe at that at the round seven that they really liked. But overall, Raymond, an excellent, excellent draft let me ask you a question who are you most excited to see gosh uh where do i start you know um i think javon kinlaw i i'm a defensive guy i love defense you know i i know on offense i'm really looking forward to jalen hurd and i want to see what this brandon Ayuk kid is going to do and we're going to break these guys down in, in depth in the in later in the week but uh you know right now uh, looking at the paper i would say javon kinlaw for sure. Just like last year, it was like, I want to see Nick Bosa. I want to see what this kid can do. He's he's supposed to be the most polished player in the NFL. I want to see how polished he actually is. And sure enough, he lived up to the hype. Javon Kinlaw, a little bit different in, in that regard. But to me, I think he's in a similar position as, De, as DeForest Buckner when we drafted him, who had a pretty decent rookie season. But that was with a terrible team. Now you have a Javon Kinlaw who's you know in a similar position to come in and play for a terrific team with terrific players around him. I think that's going to elevate and accelerate his growth. And I think you're going to see more, more production out of him than you would, you know, of course, if, if he was on, you know, the Niner team of, you know, what, 2016 when we did draft DeForest Buckner. Yeah. Javon Kinlaw is who I am also most excited for. I would say the second one after that is Trent Williams to see what he can do uh, on the left side of Jimmy G and then third place, would be uh, Brandon uh, Ayuk. That those are the those are the three in that order. Kinlaw, Williams, Ayuk. Uh, Ayuk also another great great fun fact about him. He grew up a 49ers fan. He had uh, this went viral on 49ers Twitter and 49ers Instagram. It was a picture of him as a kid. His little school picture. He's wearing a red. Uh, turtleneck and it's got it's 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 got the 49er logo on the left side and he wrote it was written. Uh, on his on his post, and I would say welcome to the family. But the great part is Brandon Ayuk has been a 49er faithful since he was a kid. So that's a really amazing and rare thing to happen to have someone who grew up his whole life rooting for the team that he wanted to be on, and now he's on that team. So not welcome to the family. Welcome to the promotion, Brandon Ayuk. You've gone from faithful to player. That is a rare step that very few take, and only only the few and the proud can actually make that move. And so that's a that's a pretty awesome awesome step for him. Yeah, totally. I thought that was a really cool little personal stat. Again, the 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 appropriate personal stat that we should see going into this. Although maybe you don't show some of those ones, you save them till after they get drafted, just because you don't want to, you know, show any kind of bias. Uh, prior to them getting picked, because then it would look it look really odd, you know. Then grew up a Miami fan, selected by Washington, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, I think um, <laughs> I think that was a cool little personal note on his end. But yeah, Trent Williams for sure. This is a seven time Pro Bowler, most likely a bona fide Hall of Famer for sure. I think I'm very excited to see what he can do. He played in a Kyle Shanahan offense, so there's gonna be some familiarity that he's gonna have when he transitions here. 
and sees the playbook that we have installed here. There's going to be a lot of similarities in that zone running scheme. Obviously, some of the terminology might be a little bit different, but he's going to be familiar with everything he sees here. I mean, here's the thing. Trent Williams, there's not going to be any hand-holding here. This is a guy who's been in the league for a very long time. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's been in the league for 10 years. You know, he didn't play last season because he's dealing with health issues, but from 2012 to 2018, this guy was in a Pro Bowl seven straight years. This guy is insane, and now we've got him. And that's the craziest thing is there was a lot of teams that were interested in the Trent Williams sweepstakes. But of all the teams to get him, the Niners turn out to be the winning team in the Trent Williams sweepstakes. And guess what? He wanted to come to San Francisco. He didn't want to play for any other team. He forced he forced Washington's hand and said, I don't want to play with anybody from San Francisco, so you better work it out with San Francisco. That was the chatter that I was hearing on the back end. I don't know if you heard the same thing, Rudy, but that was kind of what the rumblings were. I did not hear this. Yeah, he only wanted to play for San Francisco probably because – uh, not only of uh, their, you know, the, the, the competitive level that they're playing at right now, but also because of familiarity and probably the likeness he had with Kyle Shanahan having played for him for several years. So I think that those two things played into it. And plus, there was a huge discrepancy in his health that was very publicized. And I felt like he had a lot of bargaining power and Washington wasn't going to, you know, risk any more negative press surrounding that issue so i think that uh that gave leverage to to san francisco and trent williams to get this trade done that's amazing i did not hear that that uh that makes a lot of sense because i was trying to figure out the whole time this whole time i'm trying to figure out how did the niners even know trent williams was on the market how did this come together that answers a huge question for me very excited. Did you also hear that Colton McKivitz, the 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 fifth round offensive tackle they drafted, he may he may try for the guard position. Did you hear that? He may play at guard for a while. I did not hear that. I, they're probably going to make guys compete. I know Tomlinson, School, and uh, who was the other guy that was there? But uh, they all had moments where they played really well. I mean, we had a we had a banged up offensive line. We lost our center. Later in the year, we lost Staley for nine games. We lost uh, McGlinchey uh, for a while as well. And all of the backups came in and allowed us to play at a level that seemed like we hadn't missed a beat. So I think at times the protection was a little shaky. We saw that early in the uh, in the Green Bay Packers game, the first Green Bay Packers matchup. And then we saw, I think, Justin School got pulled out. in the Seahawks game, too. Yeah, and the Seahawks game. We saw, Well, that was, again, I believe, Joe, uh, the first one. Uh, yeah, I, the first one. I, I'm not sure if Joe Staley was in that one or not. I, I'd have to go back and check it out. But I know that, for the most part, the backups played well. So I think the, the goal going forward is to Trent Williams is obviously going to plug in at left tackle. That's where he's played his entire career. And then the guards, I think they're going to have them compete because I'm pretty sure that right tackle is solidified with Mike McGlinchey and the center is also solidified. So I think the guards is really where they're going to try to make guys compete to earn those roles to see who's going to get that top spot. And then we'll have, you know, I know uh, Sean, uh, I forget his last name, but our swing tackle, he got brought back for a one-year deal. So we have the swing tackle, the swing tackle, meaning that he can play multiple positions, hence why he can swing Swing is the idea. He can swing to multiple roles. So he will be returning. He got injured earlier before the season began. Sean Coleman, that's his name. 
we lost Sean Coleman early last season. He'll be back. He'll be healthy. So he'll be able to provide some much needed backup in case somebody goes down, which is a common occurrence in, in the NFL. As we saw, we lost three offensive linemen at one point or another throughout the season. One of them who eventually uh, did not return and went to season ending IR. But uh, yeah, we're, I think uh, that's going to be a really fun group to watch, not only in this offseason, as Matt Mayoka will provide lots of awesome in-depth uh, reports, but also when preseason and the regular season kick off in August and September to see who kind of fills out those uh, two remaining guard positions. Yeah, this is, this is going to be very exciting. And you know me how I feel, Raymond, that when it comes to this O-line, having guys compete, having guys push towards you know, for perfection in that O-line, you build from the middle out, O-line, D-line, and that's where we address, and I'm very, very excited. So, excellent. We are going to have Max Marsh on a little bit later on in the week to break down all these players, really give you guys the nitty-gritty. We discussed on our draft preview, Javon Kinlaw and Brandon Iokas, possible people we could get. We ended up having them. We're going to go through them again for you if you didn't hear that episode. But then we're going to break down everybody the 49ers got with Max Marsh. So don't forget, you want to hear that episode. It's coming on later in the week. Next up, I want to go into a little bit more somber news, the news that probably made me the most sad, and that's, of course, Obviously, Trent Williams is here. That means Joe Staley must be out. And unfortunately, the rumors were true. Raymond, I thought during the week when we traded with Tampa Bay on Thursday, remember I even told you this during during the trade, I said this means Joe Staley's staying because we traded and Tampa Bay got one of the big uh, offensive tackles that was on the board. We must have, this is why all the news saying that Staley's out, we might draft a tackle. All this news was out there because we were trying to convince Tampa to make the trade, and we we were never going to get a tackle, but we convinced Tampa we were, and Tampa wanted that tackle. I thought that the 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 move, and so you know when we traded and they picked up Tristan Worse from the University of Iowa, I thought for sure that's what it meant. That all that press about Joe Staley retiring was just smoke and mirrors, but it ended up not being true. Unfortunately, it was a fact. Joe Staley has retired. He announced during the draft that he would retire after 13 years. He was in my top 11 49ers of all of the decade, or no, of all time. He was in my top 11. He was there. He was on that list. Uh, I think he, he's been the most dedicated 49er we've had this century. He has stood by every regime. He has stood by every quarterback, every coach, and regardless of whether the team was the bottom of the league or the best in the league competing at Super Bowls, he was there. Uh, I think the thing that I'm most saddened by is that he was competed in two Super Bowls and wasn't able to win. Um, but the let's talk about let's talk about some good things about this. Uh, the thing I want to talk about right now, and I want to hand this off to you, is there's a play that has gone viral. It's you know I'm going to call this the Joe Staley play, and uh, it was a play that took place during. The catch three, which also ended up on you and I both. It made all of our number one top 11 49ers game of the decade, you, me, and Candlestick Will. And it also ended up on all of our lists for top 11 Bay Area games of the decade. Scroll back through. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, I'll link both those episodes on YouTube. But if you're watching, if you're hearing this on any of our podcast outlets, uh, scroll back through this through the feed and you can look up top 11 uh, 49ers games of the decade, top 11 Bay Area games of the decade, and you can hear us talk about this game in particular, the Catch 3. Raymond, 
Damon, take these people through this play. This play has gone viral. Everyone's been posting it as being that this seems to be the unanimous number one favorite play from Joe Staley. And this comes from 49ers Saints, the 2012 divisional round playoffs. Take us through the play, Ray. And probably the most exciting playoff game of that entire of that season of 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 the postseason. This was in, against the New Orleans Saints in the fourth quarter. Two minutes, 18 seconds left to go. The score was 24-23 in favor of the Saints, who had just scored. The Niners are on the Saints' 28-yard line. It's third and seven. The Niners have been struggling with third-down conversions all throughout Smith's career, and this season and in this game as well. So it was looking pretty bleak because, I mean, at least it wasn't a third and long. I would have been even more sketched out if it was third and long. But Alex Smith takes a shotgun position. We all assume pass. Alex Smith is actually pretty decent in shotgun just because most quarterbacks play more comfortable in the shotgun position just because you have more time to throw. You can go into more of uh, your five and seven step drops are easier to manage. The ball is hiked. Smith takes off towards the left sideline. The Saints are completely cut off guard. At least that was the impression that we all had. Smith is bolting as fast as he can and right in front of him, is Joe frickin' Staley. Staley pulled left. He actually sold the block. Then after the block, pulled and and ran downfield with Alex Smith. And this is, you know, this is nine years ago. So Joe Staley's even in better shape than he was this past season, although he's been in great shape his entire career. And there's only one defender left to beat, uh, a rookie safety by the name of Issa abdul Kadus, And Staley goes and barrels him down like an 18-wheel truck. Smith goes flying in for the touchdown. And, of course, the rest of the game is history. This was a fantastic play, a fantastic call. Alex Smith was stoked. I was stoked for Alex Smith. I love that Staley was able to. Staley got Joe Staley got deep downfield. For you know he has to, you have to be pretty damn athletic to not only pull and pull downfield the way he did, but to have enough speed to get to your blocking position before your much faster quarterback, because Alex Smith had some pretty good legs, and he's got rushing stats that are pretty commendable uh, on his career if you go look at pro football reference. But you, but he had to get to his blocking position before Alex Smith in order to block number 42, Abdul Kadus. And that was pretty damn impressive and just one of many impressive things that Joe Staley has done throughout his career. But if we had to definitely pull one play that really kind of highlighted how amazingly athletic and gifted he was as an offensive ta- offensive tackle, who, by the way, was a track star. Remember, he was a track star. D, D Ford didn't know that. And they, they famously asked D Ford, like, hey, did you know that Joe Staley was a former track star in, in, in high school? I didn't know that. Uh, you know, could, could you see that? I can now, <laughs> was D Ford's famous <laughs> reaction. But, uh, but yes, this was uh, a brilliant play done by a brilliant player who will be sorely missed uh, but will go down in history as one of the all-time greats for the Red and Gold. Absolutely, Raymond. Why don't you break down his career stats for us? Uh, yeah, sure. He played 13 years. He had 181 starts, a six-time Pro Bowl selection, through, uh, and he was second-team All-Pro voted between 2011 and his 2013 Pro Bowl trips. And in 2017, when he was with Kyle Shanahan, he went to his sixth Pro Bowl. He was also voted second-team uh, for that, too. 
and he had 11 playoff starts throughout his career, including his final one, which was in the Super Bowl. He did, I believe he did get injured in that game, but he played about 90 of the offensive snaps before he got injured. So it's not like he missed a lot of that game. I thought he did originally, but upon a second glance, realized that he played most of that game. And now I'm going to read the letter. He wrote a letter, and so if you haven't had a chance to read this yet, I'm going to read it for you guys. This is Joe Staley's letter to the 49ers team and the 49ers faithful. It's uh, it's not too long. It moves pretty fast, and I think when you played for the team this long, you deserve to get this heard on the Gold Cast. So here we go. This is Staley's letter to the fans and the staff and the players of the San Francisco 49ers. He goes on to say, After 13 incredible seasons with the San Francisco 49ers and many recent months of consideration, it is with very mixed emotions that I am announcing my retirement from the NFL. The game of football has been a true passion of mine since I was eight, but my body is telling me it is time. Football is a physical sport, and I have given my all to the game and pushed my limits. Last season was a dream to be a part of, having the opportunity to chase a championship, but it was by far the most difficult on me and my family. My body was breaking down with a variety of injuries and deteriorating neck condition, and the constant discomfort affected every aspect of my life. I have two daughters, Grace and Audrey. They are my world. To choose to play another season when my body says it's done and risk my future with them and my ability to be the father I want to be would be selfish and reckless. I want my daughters to know that I will always choose them no matter what. I want to thank so many people who have made my career so fulfilling, starting with the York family. It was my wish to deliver the Lombardi Trophy to you in my 13 years here, and it hurts to have fallen short. I will be forever grateful to your family for allowing me the opportunity to represent the franchise and wear the red and gold my entire career. I thank you. And that was an all bold. To all the coaches that I have played for, each of you had a huge impact on how I shaped my game. I learned so much from you and would have not been the player I was without your time and commitment. You all made coming to work each day a blessing and challenged me to achieve more. I thank you. To all the players I shared the field and locker room with over the years, coming to work each day was enjoyable because of the bond we shared. This time has granted me friendships and memories that will last me a lifetime. I thank you. To all the support and operational staff, your countless hours and sacrifices to make sure the players are ready to perform on game day are truly appreciated. You are not told enough how important and integral these roles are. I thank you. To the 49er faithful, You embrace this kid from Central Michigan with a loud and obnoxious personality with open arms. And I I hope I made you all proud with my effort and commitment every time I took the field. While I wish we had won at least one of the Super Bowls I was fortunate enough to play in, this franchise has never been in better hands and had more promise. Stay committed and loud. The players hear you. I thank you. Finally, to my wife, Carrie. You have been the calm and loving support I have needed since the moment we met. You've been selfless and patient with me and our family throughout my career and handled the stresses with graceful ease. You make me a better person and are a beautiful mother to our children. I look forward to writing the next chapters of our life together. I thank you and I love you. I hope to be present for the organization moving forward and will always have a deep love for the San Francisco 49ers and the Bay Area. While I am sad and disappointed my time has come to step away, I leave with my head held high knowing I gave my all to the game. I fulfilled the dreams I had as a kid. Now 
I will turn my attention to helping my daughters cultivate and achieve dreams of their own. With sincere love and gratitude, Joe Staley, number 74. Oh, Boom. God, that, that tugs at the heartstrings, man. Yeah, uh, George Kittle uh, made a video, and he cried during his video to thank Joe Staley. Yeah, that was a, that was a really beautiful, 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 heartfelt message from the man. Raymond, I'll ask you a question. Do you think they will retire his number? You know, the impression I've gotten from pundits and just my own opinion is that they probably will at some point. I don't know if he's, you know, the greatest of all time, just because there were some pretty amazing tackles that played for this team throughout the five Super Bowl championship teams. But uh, I do think that Staley is definitely going to go down and probably end up in the 49ers Hall of Fame at some point. And if they do retire his number, they're probably going to wait until after all of the shelter in place order is lifted. That way they can give him a formal and proper send off. I hope so too. Wait till the crowd's there. He deserves that. He deserves to not do that to an empty crowd. He deserves to an empty stadium. He deserves to have it done with the crowd. But uh, I know that I speak for myself and for you, Raymond, and for Candlestick Will, and on behalf of the Goldcast and the Goldcast Empire. We truly thank Joe Staley for all the years of incredible football he gave us. Absolutely incredible football. So you thank us. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Absolutely. It was a wonderful, wonderful run. Yeah, definitely my favorite offensive lineman out of this group just because he was the staple. He he's, was always there. He didn't get traded. You know, we, uh, everyone else got traded. Adam Snyder left. Alex Boone left. Anthony Davis kept coming in and out of retirement because he couldn't make up his damn mind, and it was frustrating. We know that uh, uh, what's his name also left. Uh, Mike Upati, who was pretty awesome uh, uh, during that time during his time with us too, but he left. He actually went to the enemy of all teams. So, but I mean, you know, it is what it is. But uh, but Joe Staley was always there. Just the constant, you know. You talk about faithful, baby. Joe Staley is the epitome of what it is to be a 49er faithful. Not 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 only as, you know, we as fans are faithful for sure, but Joe Staley, Joe Staley is going to, now he's going to be a 49er faithful fan, but he was a 49er faithful player, like true and true. This guy bled red and gold. I I agree, and uh, I hope that he comes back as an offensive line coach or maybe defensive line coach. Yeah, I I love that he wants to come back too. So I, I think it'll be definitely it'd definitely be awesome if he came back in a coaching capacity, and because we know he's a pretty sharp guy. You know, he he's done a lot of goofy things throughout his career, but he was also hosting shows, and he he was doing some forty nine some shows. I think it was like you know hanging with Joe or I forget what it was, but he had a, sh- a show that he did for Forty ers on the side uh, for a while too. And he did, did a lot of goofy interviews as well. And a lot of off the field stuff, you know, there was a famous joke that he did with George Kittle where they're using Minnesota accents, talking about how good looking Jimmy Garoppolo is pretty funny clip. If you haven't seen that one or pretty funny audio, I think there is a visual of it too. I think the camera's on them when they're doing it too. There's audio and visual for that, but definitely check that out. That's pretty funny. There you go. All right. We will be back later on in the week with Max Marsh to break down 
all of these players in all of their college glory. And uh, we'll see if whether or not he thinks they're a fit for the 49ers. What say you, Goldcast Empire? How do you feel? Who's your favorite pickup? How do you feel we did in the draft? Let us know. Go to youtube.com slash the goldcast. That is the place where we tend to keep most of our mail, most of our information. That way you guys can all see each other and we can interact together. And we will be back later in the week. So concludes another edition of the Goldcast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa Third, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa First, baby. Boom! We'll see you next time. Same gold cast time, same gold cast channel. This is, this is the gold cast.